Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. Greetings, my good people. What is happening? What is going on? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's doing well as we close out another month. That's right. Saturday is August. The time just keeps on ticking. Please, Summer, slow down just a little bit. It's going way too fast. Felt like 4th of July was five seconds ago. But anyway, I digress. You've come here to listen to some sports. And boy, do I have a lot to get into today. So you come to the right place to listen to it all. Here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 147 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, July the 27th in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what I'll be able to discuss and cram over the course of the next hour is as follows. The Seattle Kraken, the NHL's newest team for the 2021-2022 season. I'll get into a little bit of that, everything that's happening in the NHL as the postseason will begin this coming Saturday, and I'll deliver all the news that's happening with the NHL as well as the bubble down in Orlando as the NBA season will re-tip this coming Thursday, Lakers and Clippers Jazz and Pelicans, a lot of stories happening outside the bubble, including Lou Williams, which I'll get to later on. Also, everything happening in the NFL, the huge trade on Saturday, the shocking blockbuster with the Jets and Jamal Adams, and everybody's at fault here. I'll dissect that whole dynamic between Adams and the front office. Also, Le'Veon Bell got in the mix as far as a war of words on Twitter with the jettison Jamal Adams. So I'll get into all that, my hero and zero of the week. But we'll start the podcast with some unfortunate and breaking news coming from Major League Baseball as the Miami Marlins, who were supposed to have their home opener tonight down in Miami against the Baltimore Orioles, had to cancel tonight's matchup because of players coming down with coronavirus. Not one, not two, not five, not ten, up to 14 players and coaches. Yesterday morning, it was released that four players, led by Jose Urania, the pitcher, who was supposed to start yesterday's game, couldn't, had to stay in the hotel, was quarantined with three other players, including Garrett Cooper, the catcher Jose Alfaro, and also outfielder Harold Ramirez. Garrett Cooper was the first baseman, one-time Yankee. They ended up playing the game yesterday. Marlins winning two out of three down in Philadelphia. But then after the game, once these players were quarantined, just for precaution's sake, they stood overnight, in Philadelphia with hopes of flying out of the city of brotherly love this morning to get to Miami to play their home opener tonight. But when it was revealed, obviously with the testing that's been taking place, that eight other players and two coaches also have tested positive for coronavirus, this is what not only Major League Baseball, but go through the other sports. Maybe not so much the NBA and NHL because now they're in the bubble. And even though there's been activity with players leaving the bubble or not making their trips up to Toronto. In this case, the Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman, Victor Hedman, which I'll get to later on. But now you have a scenario where everybody is waiting with bated breath. So just four days into a baseball season, we have our first crisis. And this is a big one. And before people start wondering, oh, geez, what is going to happen here as far as the health of these players? They're going to be quarantined. And you would think, knock on wood, for the most part, they're going to come out on the other end unscathed. As we've seen with the other athletes in all the sports, and we could go through them all, they've come out on the other end fine. But here you have a situation where it's happening not only in season, but you wonder what is going to happen with this team. Not that anybody expects the Marlins to go on and win a World Series or even make the postseason. But now you have to wonder with all these players, eight of them, the coaches... We have to worry about, we don't know who the coaches are as of yet. You have to worry about what kind of conditions that they're under. If they are healthy, 
from a standpoint of not having any pre-existing conditions. So that's something you certainly have to be concerned about. But as far as the players are concerned, we know that they're going to remain quarantined for as long as they possibly can and hopefully not spread it to the other players. And even with expanded rosters, there's no way that you can make up eight players. It's impossible. And knowing that this has already happened three games and four days into the season, it just makes you wonder. The shoe has already dropped. And how many other shoes are going to drop here between now and forget about October. Between now and the end of this so-called truncated season, which is going to conclude on September 27th, where I'm sure right now the players, the owners, everybody throughout baseball and pretty much throughout sports are holding their collective breaths. Because you have a situation, despite the fact that it's a team that's not going to go anywhere this year. But knowing that it's happening right now as we speak, it certainly does not bode well. And it makes you wonder if this trend continues and another team contracts the virus to the point of four, five, six, eight players or however many coaches, will MLB have to pull the plug on the season? As it is right now, the Yankees are to play the Philadelphia Phillies tonight down in Philadelphia, which of course the Yankees would occupy the same clubhouse that the Marlins did over the weekend. Now, it has been confirmed that they have fumigated the visitors' clubhouse. They actually did it more than once over the course of the last, I guess, 12 to 14 hours since the conclusion of the game yesterday. And I'm sure they're down there pretty much doing it a third time, and you would think a fourth time before the players start to walk into that clubhouse. But if there is a saving grace, and I understand time is of the essence right now, The Yankees and Phillies are playing, for all intents and purposes, a four-game series. The first two being in Philadelphia starting tonight and tomorrow, and then the back two in the Bronx on Wednesday and Thursday. Why can't they just flip-flop it if they're overly concerned or certainly worried that if the Yankees do happen to occupy that clubhouse, whether they fumigated it from floor to ceiling 400 times or not, but knowing that they want to take that extra precaution, why don't they just play the games in the Bronx? I get that the Yankees right now, they're probably currently in their hotel. And the Phillies, I'm sure all their players are at home. And you would think that if they're going to make an executive decision, they would have to do it probably within the next, by noon, you would think. Because what they could do is have an escort up the turnpike into the Bronx and just play the two-game series that would have been Wednesday and Thursday, Monday and Tuesday instead. I understand that you have to have accommodations for the Phillies as far as the hotel is concerned, so that may be tricky to do that last minute. But if the Yankees are certainly fearful, knowing what happened over the weekend with the Marlins, that they don't want to occupy the visitors' clubhouse in Philadelphia over the course of the next two days because of what transpired, of course they could postpone these games or maybe just postpone today's game and maybe do a double dip tomorrow. That all remains to be seen, but this is news right now that is going to, I understand it may not reverberate or send shockwaves throughout sports, and I certainly don't want to overstate it from that regard, as far as the season being pulled after three games, but you got to wonder, if this does continue with other teams, and knowing that these teams that have to travel and stay in hotels, and I understand that they could conform to all the protocols and go from stadium to the hotel, especially for the teams that are on the road, and be like robots from now until the end of September, and if they're lucky, into October. But for the regular season, as it is right now, to have these teams, even if they were to operate in that way, all it takes is just to be in contact with one person, even in the hotel lobby. As long as you're indoors and the way that this virus transfers... Listen, people, I don't have to tell you. You've probably heard it for the last four and a half months as to how to contract this thing, even if you happen to be six feet from somebody. Whether that person sneezed, coughed, you touched something, not washing your hands, you're touching your face. I don't have to tell you. So now we have our first big-time story when it comes to a team being affected by this. And this is going to not only, I think, send shockwaves throughout Major League Baseball, and I said sports, but even more so the NFL. And I'm going to get to the NFL a little bit later on as far as 
their protocols and what they've been able to do since last week. But not only that, I think the danger for the NFL players even more for the MLB player, and I'm not even talking about on the field, which is obvious, banging into each other, blood, sweat, etc. But you have a situation here where, and you also got to wonder about the Phillies as well. I get that the virus doesn't really transmit that quickly if it's out in the open or outdoors, but you got to wonder if Bryce Harper was on first base over the weekend and whoever was the first baseman for the Marlins during conversation. I know Garrett Cooper is an outfielder, but also plays first base. I'd have to look at the box scores to see if he performed on Friday or Saturday, but and that's all it takes, man. That one conversation, no masks, spitting. Oh, jeez. It's just a disaster. And I hate to start off the podcast this way, but this is something that you're certainly going to keep your finger on the pulse, not only just for the next 24 hours to see how this all shakes down with the players and their health first and foremost. And I hope whomever is involved besides the four Marlin players that I mentioned that they have a speedy recovery and that they have back-to-back negative tests and they could go on their merry way. But, man, this is... Just waking up and seeing that certainly made me think like, oh, geez, who could be the next team or the next bunch of players on a specific team? I just, I said it time and time again, and I hate to be the broken record, but the virus is going to dictate whether sports are going to be played or not. We're going to see whether the Marlins are going to come back this week. Who knows if it's going to be by the end of the week? We don't know. It's all up in the air right now. So that's uh, just a tough way to start off the podcast here as we're just trying to get back into baseball. We're getting back into the feel of having sports in our lives again. And then all of a sudden, boom, we get hit with this. And obviously, this is a top story that certainly cannot be avoided or even ignored for that matter. But let's get to the baseball here as we look at the last few days. And prior to the start of the season, we had news come down that the players and the owners have agreed to Expansion when it comes to the postseason this year, just for this year only, because remember, the CBA expires after the 2021 season, so you're not going to see this next year. But you have a deal where you're going to have eight teams in each league make the postseason, where the top two teams in each division will be guaranteed a playoff spot, and then your wildcard teams will be seven and eight. Now, there's a couple of things in reviewing this whole process of what's going to take place when it comes to the postseason is one, because everybody in each division, AL East versus NL East, Central versus Central, and West versus West, the two things that I find troubling here is the tiebreaker situation because there are not going to be any common opponents or opponents outside of the division because it's not as if the Mets are playing the Cubs or the Yankees are playing the Astros. So, Major League Baseball has said that there are no tiebreaker scenarios. So what are they going to do if you have two teams that are tied, especially for a wild card, and there are not going to be any playing games, no tiebreaker games, what are you going to do then? So that's going to be, and with a short season, you just never know. You may have three teams with records that are, let's say, 31 and 29. And what are you going to do? Flip a coin? All right, flip a coin, best out of three, and then Team X is going to make it to the postseason. That's nonsense. And then you also may have a scenario that if you're a team, let's say you're the second place team in the NL West and you're the Padres at 30 and 30, but then the Mets make it to the postseason and they're 31 and 29, but they have to go to San Diego to play, even though they had a better record. And we get it that that's how it works with the top two teams, but it may be unfair for the team that makes it to the wild card that may have a better record than the second place team in a division that already qualified for a playoff spot. So that's something else you have to consider. And then on top of that, there's no reseeding when it comes to, let's say, for instance, if it's eight versus one and the Dodgers are playing the Cincinnati Reds. And it just so happens that the Reds beat the Dodgers in the first round. So you would think that they would play the next highest seed underneath the Dodgers, whomever that two seed will be. Let's say it's the Cubs. So it'll be Cubs-Reds. No, it's going to be pretty much based on the bracket where it's one versus eight, four versus five, and in the other bracket, two versus seven, three versus six, which that doesn't make any sense. So there's a possibility that you may have an eight seed make it to 
and NLCS because they had a very easy road other than the first round, of course, because they'd have to play the one seed. But let's say they played a 4-5 and that 4-5 isn't as strong as the 2-7 seed or the 2-7 bracket, which the 8 seed you would think would play. But uh uh-uh, MLB didn't want to do that. They wanted to stick to pretty much the way the NBA and the NHL format has been in the past where that's how it's going to be bracketed with the top versus the bottom and then they're going to face the two middle teams in each of those leagues. Well, we're going to see. It's plenty of time between now and then and who knows with the news that broke down today and everything that's going to have to be monitored from here until September 27th. Let's just hope that we get to that point and worry about it then because I tell you, uh, the way the MLB came up with that 18 proposal, which I feel it's fine this year. We understand it's one of those years. You're going to have the DH in the National League. You're going to have the runner on second, which the Mets found out on Saturday, and I'll get to that later on. But that's how it's going to be this year. So you're going to have to live with it. And it would definitely suck if the team that had the better record as a wild card than the second-place team in the division that clinched, that they would have to go on the road to play in the first round it sucks, but you have to live with it. I mean, what could you say? So MLB certainly, I don't want to say they dropped the ball, but maybe they didn't do the best as far as trying to break down or even manage how this postseason was going to unfold, whether you had tiebreakers at the end of the season or playing games. And that would only mean more money, more revenue, you would think, with the networks, even though no fans. But, hey, listen, that's why I'm just a podcast host and not part of Major League Baseball as far as expanding these playoffs to eight teams in the American and National League. Now, the weekend, this is just some news and notes. I'm not going to break down games and things of that nature. But the one thing of note, which I found fascinating, is that for the first time in 66 years, you do not have a team that's either 3-0 and or 0-3. So I don't know if that's because all the time off, players getting their bearings together to play baseball, who knows what it is. But you have a situation where you do not have an undefeated team after a three-game series. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Now you have some very, I mean, besides what took place this morning, you have other huge news when it comes to players and health that aren't related to the coronavirus. The big one was Justin Verlander yesterday. Right now he's going to be shut down for two weeks. He has a forearm strain. Reports thought that he'd be done for the season where Verlander refuted that on Twitter saying that it's inaccurate, that he's going to rest up and he's planning to come back after the two weeks. All remains to be seen. But if he's going to be shut down for the season, you can forget about the Astros going deep into October. Yeah, you just forget it. Obviously, no Garrett Cole. Verlander is the ace in that staff. We all know the reigning Cy Young Award winner from last year. And if he goes down for any significant time, and we're already two weeks in a 60-game season, is already significant. But imagine if he's going to be out for the rest of this year, you can forget about their hopes of trying to get back to a World Series. Also, the Texas Rangers, who had acquired Corey Kluber in the offseason and hadn't pitched in 15 months, he only pitched one inning yesterday where he had shoulder tightness. So that's a concern there for the Rangers, who now with this, Expansion of playoffs, you would think that they could possibly be in the mix for a wild card. And having a guy like Kluber go down, who's a two-time former Cy Young Award winner, is certainly bad news for them. Also, when you look at the Angels, speaking of the AL West, Shohei Otani in his first start on the mound in almost 20 months has an ERA of infinity because he didn't even make it out of the first inning, let alone didn't even get recording out. Three walks, three singles, five runs, and sayonara. So Otani didn't show anything close to his pitching chops in his rookie year before he had to be shut down with the Tommy John surgery. The Blue Jays will finally have home games. I know last week was reported that they were going to possibly go to Buffalo, and then they nixed that because it was their minor league affiliate, and even though nobody's playing in the building, but again, accommodations, hotels, it was going to be a little bit tricky. They actually thought about maybe asking the friendly folks of PNC Park and in Pittsburgh, but they say, uh-uh, no good. There were rumors of them possibly playing home games in Baltimore, which would have been silly. But they will have their home games in Buffalo in their minor league stadium, but not until August 11th. I believe their home opener would have been on Wednesday against the Nationals. But what they're going to do is their home games will be in Nationals Park and then following that, a weekend in Philadelphia against the Phillies. So they're going to start their quote-unquote home season 
on the road in both of those ballparks. We also had Mookie Betts with his big contract, 12 years, $365 million, which goes to show you that even with everything that's happened this year, and I'll just stick to Major League Baseball, not playing any games, no revenue because of fans, the Dodgers felt, hey, here's your 12-year, $365 million contract. Mookie, will you please sign on the dotted line? And if you're a top player in the sport, you're going to get paid. If you're anything below that, good luck. That's all I'll say about that. Speaking of COVID, I know this was also big news at the start of the season with the Yankees and Nationals kicking off the baseball season where Juan Soto, the left fielder, of course, budding superstar, contracting COVID, and you didn't see him throughout summer camp and even the couple of preseason games or summer games that they had there. As we know, we have to have two negative tests back-to-back days in order for him to come back onto the team. As of right now, no latest report as far as when Soto will return, but you would think the minute he's cleared, he's going to be on that team. And obviously, he's a huge loss to a team that doesn't have Anthony Rendon, as we know, left by free agency. And then Soto, who is a World Series hero, although not the MVP, but he's a guy that certainly is a big part of that lineup and will certainly be needed here during this short season. Now, as far as, just real quick, two things. I know a lot of people on social media are in uproar over the players kneeling, which pretty much started with Gabe Kapler, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, during an exhibition game, I believe it was last Monday in Oakland, where he was uh, kneeling for the first time, and he said, hey, this is important. We understand what this country is going through right now, and he felt that he wanted to stick by his players and go ahead and kneel, which is kudos to him. And then you saw Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Hicks kneel before, not only before the opening night, but also I believe on Saturday. I don't know what happened yesterday. I would think they probably would have knelt as well. But at the same time, there's a lot of people just taking umbrage over that, considering, oh, it's un-American, unpatriotic, blah, blah, blah. Please, people need to get over that. I'm sorry. I understand it's to each his own. And what you believe is what you believe, and that's fine. And that's your opinion. I get it. But at the same time, You know, they have a right to do that, and that's it. You know, would you rather them sit in the dugout while they do that, which obviously would be 10 times more offensive? Or be in the locker room where, hey, where's Giancarlo? Why is he in the locker room? It's the national anthem. He's kneeling down. So what? What's the big deal? So anyway, so I'll just leave that there because that just is a firestorm for, it could be a podcast unto itself. And as far as the Mets, what could I say? Real quick, two things on that. Where's the offense so far? Five runs in three games. They were able to win opening day. And for the Mets, they might as well just start off 1-0 every year. To think that in their last 51 opening days, they won 39 of them. So it's almost an automatic for them to win the opening game. But after that, it's a nightmare. And as we saw there on Saturday with Edwin Diaz, and that's number two. Both things, one was with the offense. The offense has not been around. They did score three runs there. On Saturday, but then one run last night as I got lambasted by the Braves. But the offense has gone to sleep. The other is Diaz. And I understand it was a 3-2 pitch. It was a straight fastball outside part of the plate. And Ozuna took it the other way. Good piece of hitting. And that's the thing about Diaz. He does have electric stuff. He only has two pitches. But if this happens again to him within the next couple of weeks where he blows another save or two... The manager, Luis Rojas, is certainly going to have his hands full and is going to need to make a decision whether or not to put Diaz in the 8th inning or 7th inning or whatever because Diaz, as we've seen last year, and even though he had a good start to his Met career, it wasn't until I believe the middle of May where he gave up a couple home runs in a series against the Reds is when he started to fall apart. And now, here it is, just two games into the season. And mind you, he had a pretty good inning in the first game. He did walk a guy. But he got out of it in scathed. And then Saturday, gets the first two outs, a 3-2 pitch. People were saying, oh, it was a good pitch. No, it was a meatball over the plate. It was 98 miles an hour, granted, but it was straight. And Ozuna did a great job in hitting it the other way over the fence. So I don't want to hear any apologies. I don't want to hear excuses for Diaz. Sorry. If it was a slider that somehow, some way, he hit it off his shoe tops and golfed it out of the ballpark, then okay, you know what? Kudos to Ozuna. And he just hit his best pitch. Not the case here. We're definitely going to have to keep an eye on what Diaz does here. Especially over the course of the next week or two. 
whether or not he continues this trend of blowing saves and especially giving up home runs because the guy who rarely gave up home runs during his Seattle Mariner career and he gave up 15 last year, here he is already back into his 2019 mojo giving up a home run here as we're only two games into the season. Now three, of course, after last night's debacle, losing 14-1. to All right, so that's what I have on baseball. Lots to get into, people. There's so much to discuss. I want to squeeze this in under an hour or roughly about that. I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA first. NFL, I'm going to save for later, and even though there's a lot going on there, but NBA with the season kicking off on Thursday, I know the Clippers have been part of the new cycle here with Lou Williams, and I'll start there. He is now facing a 10-day quarantine. Even though he had an excused absence from the team, he had to go to Atlanta due to a death of a family friend. I don't know if there's any relation. His name was Paul Williams. Lou referred to him as Pops on one of his social media accounts. But the controversy is that while he was in Atlanta, he was eating at this particular strip club. I believe it's called Magic City. And the rapper Jack Harlow took a picture of Lou Williams, had a drink in his hand, which he later deleted. And he said, oh, that was an old pick that I just missed the guy, whatever he said. And the first thing I thought of, well, if it was an old picture, why are you deleting it? Then Williams did admit that he did eat there, although he said that there were no entertainers in the building. He just had dinner. He could do whatever he wants. I get it. It's one of those situations where, despite the fact that he's in a strip club and they serve dinner, which is surprising. And it also makes you think that why is a strip club open? Considering the nature and everything that's going on in this country when it comes to COVID. Uh, but that's another story for another day. But here he is eating dinner. Who are we to tell Lou Williams what to do with his life? He could do whatever he wants. But it is a bad optic. And probably what would have been best is that if he posted into social media, here I am at this club. This is the place where I always frequent. But look, there's nobody here. And then that would have been it. But I understand that in the world we live in, once a picture is taken or even a video... Without an explanation, everybody's going to raise their arms or raise their eyebrows in furor over why is he doing this? How come he's at a strip club? Why is there a strip club open in Atlanta? Which is the strip club capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia, from what I heard many years ago. And now you have a situation where your sixth man is coming back into Orlando, has to be quarantined now for 10 days where the season starts on Thursday. And it just makes you think and scratch your head. I'm sure Doc Rivers, as I like to say, the Pinot Grigio and the Kale Salad did not go down well when I'm sure the news broke that he was in this strip club, even if it was just him having dinner. So you got that to deal with if you're the Clippers and even Patrick Beverly and also Montrezl Harrell. They had left the bubble to attend to personal matters. Beverly's back. I don't know about Harrell, but everything seems to be all systems go for the Clippers. Also, another corona news, you have Kristaps Porzingis who needs a one-day quarantine because he forgot to take a test for coronavirus. So he's not with the team today. With the NBA protocols, if a player does miss a scheduled, whether it's scheduled or not, you would think it's scheduled considering that in a bubble, you would figure first thing in the morning, you got to go take your temperature, get a test. That for whatever the reason, he forgot. So he's going to have to sit in his hotel room for the remainder of the day and then go back tomorrow to see how he's feeling or to see whether or not he's going to be cleared to practice and then play. Zion is back in the bubble after the family emergency. Actually will join the team tomorrow. He had to be quarantined for four days. So a lot of people are waiting to see how Zion's going to respond here as the season reopens with their game against the Jazz on Thursday. And you had other news where the kids of bonus from Indiana had left the bubble because of a foot injury. Who knows if he's going to be likely to play. So you have all these little news and notes and nuggets that's going on inside the bubble when it comes to the restart of this league. And let's just hope and pray that a lot of the players so far, other than a couple of instances that I mentioned last week, that uh, thankfully it hasn't gone haywire with some of these people or some of these players, but you would only hope that the players do stick to the memo stick to the rules, stick to all the protocols, and hopefully not only get the season off the right way, but get into a postseason and crown a champion sometime in October. That's all you hope for. And same for the NHL, which I'll get to in a second, but one other big note over the weekend was the Knicks finally hiring a coach 
And it happens to be one of their own going back to the days of Jeff Van Gundy in the mid to late 90s, and that's Tom Thibodeau. Now, from the reaction that I had read or seen on Twitter, social media, etc., a lot of people weren't happy about it. But at the same time, who else were you going to get? It's not as if uh, Greg Popovich is coming here. I understand maybe the Knicks fan, just for sentimental purposes, were looking at Mark Jackson. But he hasn't had a job in six years, and there's probably a reason why. And I have nothing against Mark Jackson. I think that probably would be a good choice, considering what he did with that Warrior franchise, turning the culture around. Now, it does help to have guys like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson as a part of your backcourt. But at the same time, for whatever happened there in Golden State, he hasn't resurfaced with a head coaching position in the NBA since then. So whether you wanted a guy like that or whomever you were dreaming about, Tom Thibodeau is the guy. And despite the fact that things fell apart in Chicago and a lot of that had to do with Derrick Rose's health and things never took off in Minnesota despite having the young talent there when he had Carl Anthony Towns, even Jimmy Butler, which I know that was acrimonious at times with the players and him having to control that. And they did make the playoffs that one year, but at the same time, that was a team that should have been on the come up and certainly just bottomed out after Butler left and then they traded Wiggins and then that was going to be it for Thibodeau. But here's a guy that has a good track record. He's been a lifer for the most part. Was an assistant coach on the Celtic team in 2008 that they won the title that year. So the pedigree is there, but as we all know, in the NBA, if you don't have players, how are you going to win? Even with Mike Malone being there for those few months after David Fisdale was gone, he was a guy that the team actually overachieved. And not to say that he did that much better than Fisdale did, but at the same time, he did something. But at the bottom line is you need to have the players. If you don't have the players, you're not going to go anywhere. And when the Knicks resurface, whenever it is, sometime in December or January next year, and who knows what's going to happen with free agency and... I don't care if you bring Leon Rose or World Wide West or the good Lord himself into that front office. Doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to be back on the beam a la in the 90s or even in that 2010 season when you felt, hey, Amari Stoudemire or even before that, everybody thought LeBron James was going to go there. Having those guys in the building doesn't automatically guarantee that these top players, whether your name is Giannis the year after next or name any other top player that's going to be available, that they're going to be flocking to One Penn Plaza in Midtown Manhattan. No guarantees. So Thibodeau, is it a safe choice? I think so, but I think it's a good choice as well. But again, he needs the players. So before people, or before the Knicks fans starts to frown, oh, geez, Thibodeau, what's he going to do? Oh, look what happened in Chicago. Oh, look what happened in Minnesota. If he gets some players here, hopefully he could turn the franchise around to get back to any type of respectability, but also... Relevance, because we all know, if the Knicks are going to be good, the league is going to be that much better for it. So that's what I got with the NBA. And no, I have not watched any scrimmage games to date. To me, just get me to Thursday. And even then, it's not like I'm going to be glued to the sets to watch Lakers Clippers. Yeah, well, I turn it on to see what's happening, of course. But And it's funny as I say that, because you would think, as much as I've been waiting for sports to come back, if you heard the podcast last week, it was almost as if, as if the last couple of months... Not having to focus on watching games was almost like a break. And even though I missed it those first couple of months, last two months was, hey, so what? It was almost out of sight, out of mind. Who cares? But no, you know I'll be on top of it when the time comes just to get a feel of what these games are like in the bubble, no fans, ambient noise, etc. And I didn't really get into that with the baseball, with the ambient noise, who cares? And the cardboard cutouts, uh, to me, it's just a waste of breath, so. All right, uh, I'll save the NHL for last. I'll cut right to football because there's a lot to get into as far as sinking our teeth into what is going on with the Shield. And I'll start off getting on board last Monday, of course, after the podcast, because I was cursing it from pillar to post about how they have not reached out to the players to discuss what's going to be like for training camp as far as all these health and safety protocols. So they got that down pat. And the players got their wish. No preseason games. Testing every day during the first two weeks of camp, which is what they wanted. Not every other day, no matter what it costs for the NFL. Please, the NFL could buy testing equipment from here until the year 4,020. So NFL, they got to suck it up. 
these are the players of the league. This is obviously what's going to make or break this league by them being tested on a day-to-day basis. So for the first two weeks, you have that. Now, a lot of the teams are going to open up camps tomorrow. And it's interesting because based on what I heard, players are going to report, they'll take a test tomorrow, and then they're going to be quarantined for three days. They'll take a test on Friday and then a test on Saturday. If those tests come back negative, especially the Friday and Saturday ones, who knows if a player is tested positive tomorrow, I'm sure they're going to have to go away for 14 days, so that's an automatic. But let's say negative Tuesday, negative Friday, negative Saturday. That means once all those tests come back negative, they'll be able to train, condition, get themselves ready into the practice facility, etc., as they get ready to embark on training camp. Now, I also heard that there are no pads. Players aren't putting pads on until August 19th. Which makes you think that with the season starting September 10th and 13th, and we know that the players do not play in these preseason games, or at least the starters do, you wonder what kind of football we're going to watch on those first two weeks of the season. Even if we get to that point. Uh, dare I say that it's seamless between now and then, but... Because if you remember, that opening game, Green Bay-Chicago last year, remember how bad that was? 13-6, to six, three and outs left and right. And even with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback, Kansas City Chiefs, and their offense, who knows? For them, they may be lucky to get 17 points if they're only going to put on the pads you know, three weeks from now and at the same time able to take enough snaps to get rhythm and to get their camaraderie going to the point where they'll start lighting up the scoreboard the way they normally do. Now, one thing that I fear, as I said at the top with the whole situation with the Marlins, but even more so with the NFL player. Now, the NBA and NHL, they're in a bubble. You would think everything's going to be fine there. Fingers crossed. Not a 100% guarantee, as we all know. But the bubble, they have a system in place. Major League Baseball, with teams on the road, you would think that players are going to police other players as best as possible. That they know... We're going from ballpark to a hotel. I'm sure they're going to order whatever food that's going to be brought into the ballrooms of some of the hotels that they stay at. They're going to eat there, go right up to their room, and that's it. Case closed. Or maybe even have it delivered to their room, for all we know. But as we saw here, obviously all these Marlin players were infected. Who knows if one guy went out on the town on a Friday night in Philadelphia, or who knows? That certainly remains to be seen. But with the NFL... To me, it's even more of a detriment for these players because they have so much downtime on their hands. Whereas the MLB player, if they're home, they know that it's home, ballpark, ballpark, home. On the road, it could be a little bit tempting. I don't want to be cooped up in a hotel room. I don't have to stay in a particular area where if I'm in New York or if I'm in Miami or if I'm in LA in some of the bigger cities that they may want to go out or even roll the dice to go out to try to get something to eat, to bring back to the room, whatever. And I'm sure that's got to be somewhere in the memo. Don't you think you can't attend any restaurants, bars, etc.? Who knows? But with the NFL, they have more time on their hands. And because they have more time on their hands, it would be more prone for them to go out or to frequent a restaurant as it is right now. The NFL is looking to discipline players, whether it's conduct detrimental to the team, Who knows if that means it's going to be suspensions handed down or even pay cuts that have been reported. Especially if they're at high-risk events. Now, we understand that there are going to be no concerts. There are no movie theaters that are open. They don't have to worry about going to clubs. Or you would think. Who knows if they're going to some underground club. But a lot of these venues certainly aren't open other than restaurants or bars. Or even house parties you got to worry about too. That's probably going to be the biggest thing. If somebody has... A bunch of people over, whether it's Xbox or who knows what else. And that's the one thing you have to worry about if you're the NFL player. Maybe not so much during training camp, but once the season starts. Because again, it's not like it's a Major League Baseball team that has games every day, that they have their rituals down pat, superstitions for some players, that they know that whether they're on the road is what they're going to do, or if they're at home. And because there are games every day, the focus is on that day's game. Where the NFL, we all know it's one game a week. And they have Tuesdays off, and Thursday night is pretty much like their night off because Friday they prepare for walkthrough, Saturday the same thing, or especially if they're on the road, they have to travel to a city. So when you have those 
hours of free time at their hands, what are they going to do? Are they going to be holed up in their apartment or houses knowing that, hey, maybe I'm going to step out just for a little while. I got to. I'm crazy. I just had a long day of practice. There's no way I'm just going to sit at home and order food. And I know it's going to be hammered into their skulls. Forget about day in and day out. Hour after hour after hour. And who knows? You may have that one player that's like, yeah, I get it. I get it. But you know what? I can do whatever I want. I'm going to go wherever I want to go. I'm only going to be an hour. But as we all know, all it takes is literally two seconds or 10 seconds, however long it takes to have this virus transmitted. So that's just something to keep in mind for the NFL player moving forward. And we get with the disciplines and the fine if they're at high-risk events. But that's the funny thing. They say high-risk events where we know that, geez, they're not going to go to a concert. I mean, is a house party a high-risk event? Obviously, if you're going to have 50 people over, but get that. But So that's just something that we... We'll have to keep our eyes on. And as far as the fans, the NFL came down and said that if they're going to be fans attending these games, that they all have to wear masks. No, duh. Now, the governor of New Jersey for the Jets and Giants said that there are going to be no fans that will attend games, or especially until further notice. Now, we have to still wait and see how that's going to unfold as we get into September, October, etc. The Vegas owner, Mark Davis, said that he's leaning towards not having fans being present, as we all know, they're opening up a new stadium, new locale, everything. So for him to say that, obviously that doesn't bode well, which is no shock. I mean, it's not as if it's any revelation by any stretch. Same for the Rams as they're opening a new stadium. They feel that it's highly unlikely they're going to have fans. If so, it's going to be limited. Same for Philadelphia, but it's weird because then you have the Ravens coming out saying that they're going to sell tickets to have 20% capacity, about 15,000 to seed a 75,000 seat stadium. So they figure 20% will separate everybody and away we go. Same for Pittsburgh. They said the same thing. That they would house 20 to 25% tops for the Steelers. So you got that to deal with people. And who knows, as much as I want to go to opening night, if I could, Steelers, Giants here at the Meadowlands, it's not going to happen. And I would love to go to Dallas to see the Steelers and Cowboys, but uh-uh, Sorry. I don't care what Jerry Jones says. I don't care if he gives me a plane ticket to go fly down there to be a part of that uh, crowd. Not that he'd want me there or even a Steeler fan in his building. He wants all Cowboy fans, we know. But now to the big news over the weekend. And I know I probably should have started off with this, but but the former disgruntled safety of the New York Jets, Jamal Adams, who was traded on Saturday, to me came as a shock. Now, I understand on Thursday he threw his coach overboard. Adam Gase, and listen, I don't love Gase either. I would throw him overboard as well, but if you're a player on the team, you can't do that. His quote saying that it was not he's not the right leader for this organization, and then it pretty much forced Joe Douglas, the GM of the team, to jettison him to Seattle, and he got a plethora of picks back. He got pretty much what a quarterback or a pass rusher would get if you were to send him packing, and to have a first-round pick, in next year's draft, a third-round pick as well, and then a first-round pick in 2022. They did get a safety back in Bradley McDougal. Again, that's what fetches quarterbacks and edge pass rushers to get that kind of a bounty. And that's what was shocking to me. Now, the trade itself, I fought more Adams than I do the Jets. And I'll start there, and then I'll get to the Jets. Adams, because he wanted out. Here was a guy that, toward the end of the season, was voicing his displeasure about the organization. That even a couple of months ago, while he was in Dallas, somebody recorded him saying, that, Hey, Jamal, how about coming to Dallas to be part of the Cowboys? Whereas we know he's from the Dallas area. And he ended up saying, and I quote, I'm trying. And then he throws his coach under the bus, like I mentioned. And we all know that it's about getting paid. And I understand that. And he was an all-pro player. And I've said this a few weeks ago on the podcast. It's his first all-pro. I get he's three years into the league. He's certainly one of the top defensive players in the league. There's no question about that. Is he a great player right now? He's not great. Now, he's very good. And he certainly attained that all-pro level. And he's one of the top safeties in football. But great is over the span of years. Now, if he came into the league and he had three all-pro First team selections, then he's a great safety. There goes, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Now think about this. For the Jet fan, I was 
arguing with somebody on Twitter about this over the weekend, and he was just trying to tell me, no, he's great, 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 jamming down my throat. Remember when Landon Collins was a first-time All-Pro, and a lot of people thought, oh, he's the next great safety. He had, I believe it was, what, the 2016 year, where he had that phenomenal season, first-team All-Pro. What has happened to him ever since? I rest my case. And I'm not trying to say people are going to look at, oh, well, Adams is way better than Collins. Well, Collins was in the second year in the league, and he made it to All-Pro status. So what is his situation any different than Jamal Adams? That's my point. But Adams, who was just popping off his mouth and just wanted to get out and even led to a Twitter war with Le'Veon Bell where Bell came out and felt like he was being betrayed. Here was a guy that Adams tried to recruit to come to, uh, from Pittsburgh to the Jets and then he did so. They had a phone discussion a couple of weeks ago where Adams even voiced his opinion on wanting to stay and even though it was frustrated, so on and so forth. And then here he is, he pops off about Coach Gaze and then two days later, He's on his way to Seattle. Now, Adams has a lot to say, as we all know. I get that the Jets' hands were tied. And now to get to the front office, I can't blame the Jets for not wanting to sign him long-term with two years left on his deal. To me, it was reminiscent of Jacob DeGrom and the Mets. Remember, he went into the 18th season knowing that he had three years left on his deal. He had a killer season where he won a Cy Young. Two more years left on his deal. A lot of the Met fans were up in arms. And me as a Met fan, I didn't think the Wilpons were going to do it. I was like, no, they're going to just wait until the contract is up. And then either they're going to have to trade him at the trade deadline before his final year of free, you know, going into free agency. And then, or get it to where they play out the season and he walks as a free agent and we get nothing back from him. But what the Mets did, obviously, is that they signed the Grom. And it's a little bit different situation from this regard. The Grom was 30 years old. The front office knew he had a lot more left in the tank. DeGrom has been a good guy, not outspoken, very mild-mannered, and I'm sure part of the fan base probably got in their ears to say, if you don't sign this guy right now, then we're not going to renew our season tickets for those who are season ticket holders for the Mets, just to start there. So they re-upped, he got his contract, and away we go. Now when you look at Adams, much younger player, and we understand that it's tough to trade your best players, and arguably he's the best player in that team. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. But at the same time, if you become a malcontent, do, are you going to deal with that for two more years? And the Jets had every right to wait until free agency. Or maybe let's say they had every right to wait after this year or as uncertain as this year is going to be. But let's say if he had another all-pro season, then maybe they could say, all right, let's tear up that last year of the contract. We'll sign him to the long-term deal and away we go. And they've even reiterated over and over, we're not going to trade Jamal Adams. We want to keep him. We want to work out a long-term deal. But they had two years left. And I get that the fan base is upset at the front office for not locking him up at this juncture of his contract. But it is two more years. And right, he did have that all-pro year. I get it. And it's tough to trade away your best player. Absolutely. There's many layers to this thing. But I can't blame them 100% for not pushing a contract in Jamal Adams' face or an extension for that matter, knowing that there's two more years left on his deal. And maybe, just maybe, they wanted to play out this year in hopes of maybe signing him long-term if he had another killer All-Pro year. But Adams didn't help his case either. That's all I'm trying to say. And it's going to be interesting because the Jets and the Seahawks do play Week 14 where even Jamal Adams said to Le'Veon Bell, I'll see you Week 14. And then Bell fired back, but even though he tamed that with, hey, it's all love, Wish you the best, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, Adams was just as much his fault for wanting to get out of here. And he's been saying it for the longest time. So the Jets had to do what they had to do. And they got a great return. But the only thing is about that return, Seattle's going to be a good team these next two years. So you would think that those picks are going to be somewhere in the 20s, which will help. I'm not saying that they won't help the Jets cause because you're going to have two first round picks in both of those years. But It's not that those picks are going to be in the teens or if Seattle bottoms out and let's say they happen to fall in the top 10, then you'll jump for joy. But, and you also get a third round pick on top of that. But at the same time, they got a lot back. So whether that pick is 20th or 29th or God forbid if the Seahawks win a Super Bowl 32nd, it's still a number one pick. So all Joe Douglas has to do is make sure he gets the pick right. A few other things with the NFL... The Washington football team, that's going to be the name of your team? 
I tell you, the Redskins, they've become more and more of a joke as time goes on. My dear former co-worker, Alicia Jones down in D.C., she said it best. Call them the Washingtonians. Why not? Just like the Houston Texans. Instead of the Washington football team, that is as bland and as just boring as it possibly be. If you call them the Washingtonians, listen, I'm sure the people in D.C. would rather take that. I'm sure they'd rather have the old name back, but they'd rather take that than the Washington football team. I mean, please. That, that is just an abomination if you ask me. And I also rethought this. Why not call them the Red Hogs? I get that you want to try to be creative. Maybe you don't want to be as boring and say the Nationals or I mentioned the Generals. I get that. Maybe if you looked at the military, you could find something there and I'm sure it would stick. But if you call them the Red Hogs, it would pay homage to the 80s offensive line of Russ Grimm, Joe Jacoby, Mark May, and those Super Bowl teams of yesteryear. If you call them the Red Hogs, so what? Call them the Red Hogs and that's it. End of the story and you could go ahead and move on to Hopefully bigger and better things if you're a D.C. football fan. Also, kudos to Alex Smith, who has been cleared for full activity after that gruesome broken leg he suffered in November of 2018 versus the Texans. So let's see if maybe that could be a sliver of good hope, speaking of the Washingtonians, as I'll call them, to see if he could possibly get his starting job back, which I think would be the story of the year. Because that leg injury, oh man, that was gruesome. And you just hate to see that. So kudos to him. Hopefully he gets back and gets his starting job. Because I'm sure the Washingtonians need as much good pub as they possibly can. And having Alex Smith there will certainly be a big part of that. Also, going back to the Chiefs. Chris Jones, we all know he signed that big deal last year. The defensive lineman saying that they can win five plus Super Bowls. Knowing that they have Patrick Mahomes there for pretty much his entire career then Tyreek Hill said hey why not seven maybe we could get more one more than what Michael Jordan got when he was a member of the Bulls and hey it's just more fodder for the teams that are going to play against them is it going to be a big deal come the first game of the year against the Texans or whatever no but it does put a little bullseye on their back because now they're talking about five Super Bowls seven Super Bowls all right, they got their one. That's good. It's a good start. You got the quarterback's going to be there forever. But at the same time, there are no guarantees. You would think with Mahomes and with this cast of characters that they have right now, they certainly have a window where they could win multiple Super Bowls. But before you get to five, can we get to two? Maybe even three? I can see him say, man, I think we win three or four. No, Chris Jones said five and then Tyreek Hill said seven. Why don't you say 13 for the whole contract of Patrick Mahomes? 13 in a row. Why not? Also, the offensive lineman from the Kansas City Chiefs, Duvernay Tardif, he's going to opt out of the 2020 season. And actually what he's going to do is he's working at a facility in Canada where he's been helping to fight COVID. So kudos to him to step out. And I don't know what that means for the 2021 season, but for this season, he is going to help out where there's going to be a lot of it. And Canada, where there haven't been a lot of cases, and we all know Toronto certainly didn't want the Blue Jays to come back, as they're certainly doing their best to flatten the curve. Well, they have a guy like Duvernay Tardif, who is a key member of that offensive line, protecting Patrick Mahomes, not going to be there this year. So that's one player that the Chiefs were certainly going to have to replace and may not be easy to do so with camp opening up here just in a matter of days. And lastly, Michael Bennett retires, former defensive lineman who won a Super Bowl with the Seahawks, Super Bowl 48, also was a member of the Eagles, Cowboys, etc. He steps down, time for him to move on to bigger and better things. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of activism in his future, as unfortunately he was targeted at one point, I believe in Vegas a couple of years back, by the police, so I'm sure he's going to be prominent and bringing awareness to the folks of this country as far as police brutality, racial injustice, etc. So Michael Bennett goes off into retirement and good for him. All right, and lastly with the NHL, the hubs, a lot of the teams have gone up there to Edmonton and Toronto. I believe Saturday and yesterday were the two dates where the teams were 
going to touchdown in each of those cities. Exhibition games, I believe, will start tomorrow. One person that's not going to be there for the Tampa Bay Lightning is Victor Hedman. As he is in Florida, he has a personal issue that he's dealing with. He is going to practice, I believe, whether at the facility or even at the rink. But for him, very strict as Florida, as we all know, has been hit hard recently, especially South Florida, but pretty much the whole state, where it's literally going to be from the apartment to the rink and back for him before he gets to go up to Toronto to join his team. And Hedman, as we all know, big focal point of that defense and of Tampa, who had that enormous year last year, only to get swept in the first round. So Tampa will lose a key component early on, but you would think he'll be back, if not for the start of the postseason. And I believe when you look at their seeds, I don't have them in front of me, but you would think that once their series kicks off, he'll be up there ready to go as Tampa tries to go deep this postseason, something that they didn't do last year. Now, a couple other news and notes as far as COVID is concerned. Corey Crawford, the goalie for the Blackhawks, he rejoins the team after testing positive. Crawford, as we all know, part of those Stanley Cup teams there in the 2010s. Also, Brent Seabrook, a defenseman there, is not going to rejoin the team because he had multiple surgeries going back to the beginning of the year on his hip, also his shoulders, right shoulder. So he's not going to participate or even be a part of the team. When the playoffs begin on Saturday. Sad news where Eddie Shack, The one time Maple Leaf. Who won four cups in the 60's. Including the last one 1967. He's known for being not only just a colorful player. But also a comedian. Known for his humor. He had the big mustache and the cowboy hat. He died at the age of 83. And to think. As big as hockey is in Toronto. And as rabid as that sports fan. Or those sports fans are. They have not won a championship in 53 years. I mean, geez, that's amazing when you think about it. And, and even Montreal, Canadians, 27 years. And that's the, they're the Yankees of hockey. So Eddie Shack, thoughts, condolences go out to his family, 83 years old as he passes away. And give it up to the Seattle Kraken. Do you love the name? I can't say I do. Now, everybody knows about Clash of the Titans, the movie, release the Kraken. And I know... Gary Sanchez of the Yankees, I believe that's his nickname. Well, they won't start until the following season, the 2021-2022 season, but their logo, the name has been released. It's a, If people want to know what a Kraken is, it's actually this mythical creature of a squid meets an octopus, and it's actually pretty big and ugly. The correlation for Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but the color scheme looks nice. I believe they're going to play in the key arena. There's the old arena where the one time Seattle Supersonics played in renovations. I believe that's where they're going to be playing. I don't think it's a new arena overall, but Seattle finally has their name. Whether you love it or not remains to be seen. I do like the color scheme similar to the Seahawks. I believe it's a little bit on the lighter side than Seattle. Of course, they don't have that crazy fluorescent lime green, but just as far as that blue, I think it's a little bit more. If I want to say, is it a little lighter? Or is it a little darker? I don't know, but I like the colors. Thankfully, there's no black in it because everybody wants to incorporate black in their jerseys, so you don't have to worry about that. So Seattle has its new franchise, and they'll be ready to go. You would think, even with the restart of a new season in December, January, does that mean October 2021? November? December? Ah, We'll just have to wait and see how that unfolds. So that's what we got with the NHL as they start. And early on, real quick, I can't really say who's going to come out with these 5 through 12 best of fives. I know next Monday we'll talk about it and get into it a little bit more, but as we all know, hockey's a crapshoot. 5 through 12, Pittsburgh's going to play Montreal in that first round. Can Montreal beat Pittsburgh? I can't even tell you right now because I haven't seen a hockey game in four and a half months. So how would I know? And it's tough to handicap that. It's tough to even predict what's going to happen, let alone the first series or even throughout the whole playoff. Yeah, it'd be easy to say that right now. Oh, geez, the Capitals are strong. The Bruins, you figure they're going to be the top two teams to play in a Eastern Conference final. Same for St. Louis and Colorado. Uh, we don't know that. Well, we know St. Louis will get swept in the first round. It'll be the defending Stanley Cup champions. So for those who want to, Jay Reels, who do you predict? What do you think? Uh, to me, I might as well just put all the teams' names in a hat and the first one that comes up with in each of the conferences, and th- there you go, especially for the first round because I couldn't even tell you right now if my life depended on it. And people say, oh, come on, Jay Reels, give us something, whatever. Well, 
Think about it. I bet you you go to Barry Melrose or any of these other hockey experts. Of course, they're going to have to come up with something. I get it. But is it really going to stick? I mean, they've seen the same amount of hockey that I have over the last four and a half months. So that's my point, people. It's not as I'm trying to avoid it or, oh, I don't care. I do, but what do you want me to say? And that goes for the NBA too. NBA is a little different because we know who the top teams are and usually the top teams get there. But would you be surprised that Milwaukee doesn't make it to a conference final? Or God forbid somebody comes down with a coronavirus and let's say Chris Middleton on the Bucks, Or, you know, I don't want to say LeBron or any of the top players, but, you know, you have a player that obviously is an important part of the rotation. If they go down and they're not going to perform, well, what's going to happen if they don't make it to a conference final or an NBA final? Would you be surprised? So that's my point, people. All right, let's get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is Alyssa Nacken. She's the first female coach on field in Major League Baseball with the San Francisco Giants. First base coach. You may have seen her there on Monday against the Oakland A's patrolling the first base side and knowing that after all this time that there is a visible female coach on a baseball diamond. We've seen that in the NBA with Becky Hammond, of course, with the Spurs. And now we've gotten to see it, of course, as a coach, but now we get to see it here as a first base coach with Alyssa Natkin. So kudos to her. Let's see if we see more of that throughout baseball, which would be fantastic. So she is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, I'll try to keep this concise, people, but it goes to the current ambassador to England, but most known for being the chairman of the New York Jets, Woody Johnson. For his alleged racist and sexist comments, the CNN report that came out arguing about the purpose of Black Lives Matter, alleged comments about preferring to work with women because they are cheaper and they work harder, also stating that black fathers don't remain with their families, that you have all these single family households when it comes to the African American community. Of course, he dismissed it, refuted it, denied it, etc. But really, Woody Johnson, would it be that far-fetched to think that he didn't make these comments and that he's trying to do some damage control right now? Granted that he can't even run a football team, that he had to go to England to be an ambassador for whatever the reason, and he had his brother, who is now the current operator of the Jets. But now you have a situation where he's going to come back into the mix because I believe his ambassadorship, if you want to call it, ends at the end of the year. So what does that mean? Is he going to come back as owner? Chairman of the board, or is it going to be Chris? Who knows, but if these comments are to be true, he needs to go, he needs to be gone, sayonara a la Donald Sterling, so he, Robert Woody Johnson, is my zero of the week. All right, people, I appreciate all of your love, support, thank you so much for listening to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. I appreciate you guys more than you ever know, I really truly mean that, and if you haven't done so already... If this is your first time listening, second, third, or if you just totally forgot or took for granted, and I understand you have other more important things to do, but I implore you to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast because as we know, there are zillions of podcasts out there, not just sports, but everything else. But as far as my little sector of the world, trying to slowly but surely move up the ranks, if you can, subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that's going to do is going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And then in turn, generate interest for those who aren't familiar with this podcast as far as guests when it comes to the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, sports writer, blogger, studio host, you name it. I'm trying to get those guys on here. I'm also trying to work on a podcast maybe for Thursday, so... Check my social media accounts, which I'll get to in a second. So again, subscribe, rate, and review people. I would greatly appreciate it. And now to segue to my social media accounts. For any updates regarding the podcast, you can check out my website at www.jreels.com or even more so on my social media accounts, which I'm pretty active on. So if that means Instagram, jreels, or the jreels podcast, which is strictly sports, Twitter, jreels1, just the number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. And if you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, or praise on any of those aforementioned websites or social media accounts, you can also shoot me an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Again, people, I appreciate all your support. 
working on a podcast later this week to handicap the restart of the NBA season. Let's see if that goes through. But right now, I can't commit 100%. It's all a matter of getting this guest on. And he's actually a former guest. So, But as you well know, or if you don't know, this is why I love to do people to entertain, inform, deliver credible sports talk with everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Hopefully, you'll hear me back on Thursday. Take notice on my social media accounts for any updates in regards to that. But if not then, until next time, on the flip, baby.